I like your outfit, to be honest, Ozzy. Thank you very much. You look a bit like a gentle giant. You remind me, like, if um, what, it, what it looks like, like Charles Bronson trying to appear more sensitive at one of his appeals. <laughs> no, Charles Bronson, but doing like the story time, you know, for kids on BBC. <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. On today's episode, we're going to show you how to make a shiv out of a toothbrush. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. Jo- Joel's there somewhere as well, but he's just c- choosing not to communicate with us like a very unfriendly force ghost. <laughs> and uh, this week, we commence our blockbuster season, aka our desperate attempt to regain listeners after we accidentally left Spotify for a couple of months. But this season, we aim to put a blockbuster film on trial from each decade, from the 1990s to the 2020s. And we kickstart things with a doozy as we put The Phantom Menace on trial. Is it Obi-Wan or is it Obi-Last? Is it Darth Helped or Darth Mauled? <laughs> Is Those it... are the opposites. You help someone or you maul them. Those are the those are the polar opposites. You came up. With. What's the opposite of mauled? I couldn't think. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's helped. Getting skin grafted onto Healed? you. Healed. <laughs> Didn't work, Gav. That's all. That's all we can say. Who fucking cares? <laughs> essentially, essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? But before we get started, let's talk about our last trial, which was the 1993 drama, What's Love Got to Do With It, Got to Do With It, Got to Do With It. I judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. I've since gone away and I've watched the film, so did I make the right call, yes or no? I think I did, to be honest. I do agree with the prosecution that there were some ropey elements to it and some aspects of the film probably weren't as great as they could or maybe should have been in comparison to other biopics that were made at that time and have been made since. There were some certain scenes, I can't remember who said it, but he said about the direction. There were some certain scenes that were visually very, very dark. It looked like the film had been made through somebody's jumper at some point. I had to fiddle about with the contrast on my TV. But all of that to one side, I do think that the performances of Angela Bassett and Lance Fishburne alone, their performances elevate this immensely. They were both just so captivating and engaging and the chemistry between the two of them was absolutely incredible. So I do think it is a bit of a shame that their performances haven't been recognized as much as they deserve, but at least their film's been placed on the hit list and that's all that counts, isn't it? That that will help them sleep soundly at night. Yeah. If you get that in your career, what, what more do you want? Exactly. You know, this can fill the space on that Oscar shelf. Um, anyway. <laughs> you, I've just got an image now of like Lawrence Fishburne looking at his trophy cabinet. No Oscar, but just stapling a Freddo to the back wall <laughs> of it. <It's> like, <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> so now on to the trial itself. 
and all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. Uh, this week, I have taken the insults or character descriptions, I should say, from psychology.com slash Star Wars, right? Okay, so you can't get annoyed at these descriptions because they are the words of a maybe probable psychiatrist. That you have then chosen to insult us. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Right, 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 okay, right. Cool. <laughs> so, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list is Joel. And Joel is just like the character C-3PO. A bit of a caricature of the introverted, sensing, feeling, judging personality, especially their tendency to get caught up in worst case, what if scenarios, <laughs> which I think is probably the most accurate description that we've had to date. For all those who are listening, before we start recording, Joel will often give us a what would you rather do scenario or conundrum. We won't we, share any here, yeah, to be honest. We're not going to share them here because I don't think we can repeat them. They're the type of things that would make your soul leave your body. <laughs> anyway, right, joining Joel will be Alex, who is just like Natalie Portman's character, Padme. They have a constant insistence to try and find a peaceful, mutually beneficial resolution to conflicts, but they are a little too quick to forgive the faults of the people that they love. Aww. AKA Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Dave. And Dave is just like Ewan McGregor's character, Obi-Wan Kenobi, a charming diplomat and a good teacher, but who isn't intuitive, preferring to stick with traditional ways of doing things instead of thinking outside of the box. So what I'm trying to say here, Dave, is that you need to ease up and be a bit more receptive. And you might get rid of that back pain if you let me give you one of my patented experimental Swedish massages. <laughs> Again with the Swedish <laughs> massages, Gav. <laughs> Just let me in, Dave. Let me in. <laughs> and joining Dave will be me. And I must confess that I got my description from a different source. Unfortunately, my description comes from a website called loathsomecharacterswiki.com and I'm just like Jar Jar Binks. Extremely annoying, whose antics get old very quickly and a lousy attempt to be a comic relief, like Goofy from Disney but without the charm and likability. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though. So do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their real thoughts. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to him is Ozzy. And Ozzy is just like Jake Lloyd's character, Anakin Skywalker. Very innovative but can easily be twisted and exploited by somebody more dominant than him. <laughs> See, Dave, Ozzy has had many of those massages I was talking about, and he looks completely <laughs> fine on the outside. <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> Do not look inside. Now, before we get started, I think we should probably give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So, let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. What the hell was that? That was a, that a was cat. A cat? That was a cat. 
He's been doing this for about three years, and that's the first time I've ever heard a cat. Anyway, what we do here, basically, is we read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, it has landed on Alex. So how would we like Alex to read out this synopsis? Uh, you get quite a few good options with Star Wars, don't you? I think you've got some fucking great options. You got, here. got some options I'd rather you didn't take, but yeah. Just... <laughs> I mean, yeah, the first one that came to my head was Yoda. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's better than the first one that came to my head, and Joel, yeah. seemingly, John yeah. Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't Which I, don't I think, think we should probably steer very, very clear of. There was a contentious yeah. issue about, about that character. Um, yeah. I mean, you could do Liam Neeson, you could do Ewan oh, McGregor, yeah. or Yoda. I would say they're your three. I think I think Yoda's a good shout. Or it's classic. What about what about Darth Sidious? Or like Palpatine when he when he really really. All right, I can yeah. go for a Palpatine. Okay, yeah, go on. Mm, can I though? Two Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. I can do this. I can do this. Two Jedi escape a hostile blockade to find allies and come across a young boy who may bring balance to the Force, but the long dormant Sith resurface to claim their original glory. That's actually very good. good man. That's Thanks. actually very good. It took me two yeah, yeah. tries, but I got there. <laughs> when you started, I did have a feel that it was going to be very Yorkshire. <laughs> two Jedi escape the hostile blockade. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you very much for that, Alex. I think we should probably get things started. Ozzy, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yeah, I vaguely remember Phantom Menace. I think I watched it in the cinema when it came out. Um, I can't remember too much. I was young and impressionable. And as Gav mentioned earlier, I'm still fairly impressionable. But, uh, <laughs> much more worldly wise. Uh, so um, let's let's go with the defense. Maybe the defense can can start things off. Let me know why why I should think of this film with uh, rose tinted glasses and put it on the hit list. Are well, you wearing the glasses, Aussie? So I'm halfway. I'm literally halfway there. Uh, okay, I'll just give you a quick overview. You've got uh, the film starts where you've got two Jedi Knights. You've got Obi Wan Kenobi, who we know from Alec Guinness's character in the original ones, and Qui Gon Jinn. You know, th- remember this is thirty years, you know, in our time after the original trilogy. You know, we've been waiting this time, so this is how it starts. You've got two Jedi, bump out they go. You know, a lot of those thirty years, people wondering what happened in the, you know, the the times before it. What was it like? You know, what was going on? George Lucas doesn't stop do you know what i mean he wants to get straight in there he knows the main question on everyone's mind was what was the taxation like on trade routes within <laughs> the high republic and he from the first line he just goes straight in with that you know he's, he's just answering those questions left right and center <laughs> so you know we start talking about the, the taxation the jedi knights obviously negotiation trying to no- negotiate an, uh, a peaceful end to this blockade of a country a planet called naboo Things go a little bit more interesting. We don't get into the, the nitty gritty of the taxation issue. Instead, they try to kill the two Jedi because we realise the Emperor Palpatine from the first films is actually pulling the strings in this blockade and, you know, is causing these issues. They try to kill a Jedi, so the Jedi flee, basically. They get off the ship, they go down to the planet, and they meet up with Queen Amidala. I'm skipping over a little bit, but these are the broad strokes. Um, they find the Queen 
escape the planet but the ship is injured on the way so they have to land somewhere they land on tatooine which we know again from the original trilogy a nice little callback and they have to fix the ship with the help of oh look who we've met anakin skywalker the person we know is going to eventually grow up to be darth vader so we've got that the story's gotten going we've had our nice lightsaber fights and we're off um then basically the what happens is he helps them to get back they go to Coruscant, which is this city planet, uh, but they realise that the government is too weak to help them to save the original planet they were on. So in the end, they go, right, let's all go on our own. They go back to Naboo, where the story started, and they defeat the bad guys, basically, with a lot of fun and a lot of great things. And along the way, we meet some lovely alien races. We meet the Gungans that are, you know, the race on Naboo. We have some exciting action when we meet Anakin. He's a pod racer. So they have these great pod racers that go around. Uh, we set up the eventual fall, fall of a Jedi. I mean, he's a prequel. So, you know, the, the problem is we already know where the story is headed. So we set up those stories. We set up the fall of the Jedi. We meet the Sith Lords, the Darth Maul, which is an absolutely fantastic character. And we have lots of fights in the end with lightsabers, blasters, and ships. You know, this is just what fans wanted when they were going in. They wanted all of these things put in. But the nice thing about this is, and, you know, we often say this when we talk about films, we say, um, you know, we've got to look at it at the time it was made, right? But because that doesn't suit my argument today, I'm going to say, don't do that, Aussie. I'm going to say, <laughs> we're, we're not going to do that today, if that's okay, if everyone agrees. We're going to look that in, in, in the face of the, the sequels that we had, the ones that have been recently out with, you know, J.J. Abrams and, you know, hasn't ended well. They Those feel very corporate. They feel very... Um, you know focus grouped it feels like every single like step is you know always oh, that going to make enough money can we do this this is a genuinely a genuinely original film made by a filmmaker george lucas who absolutely loves the world that he has created and you know it's a real balm to watch this in this focus group town it's bonkers it's crazy it's got lots of stuff going on but it is a genuinely original and something that you can see has had a lot you know, you might argue possibly too much in certain aspects, but it has had a lot, a lot of thought and love and passion and care put into it. Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Uh, excellent. Okay. I mean, I know that you had some parts through that I can imagine that isn't a film that you would particularly enjoy, but I think that you've tried to grin, you know, to get through <laughs> with, uh, with some facetious comments but i guess there's a little bit of truth behind this i'm gonna pass just to gav just to maybe bolster the defense just a little bit before <laughs> headed today uh, go on gav you got your hand up yeah i mean alex <laughs> he has glossed over just how fucking boring this film is <laughs> how dare you how dare you <laughs> now, imagine if you will Aussie. Legions of Star Wars fans sitting down to watch this in the cinema after 16 years, eagerly awaiting another fantasy epic. The first notes of John Williams' iconic score blast out of the speakers as the title appears. Goosebumps already. And then the famous sprawling text starts babbling on about fucking taxation of trade routes. <laughs> I can just see hundreds of faces in the audience slowly change from wide-eyed and excited grins to complete confusion. Now, as much as I'm not particularly bothered about Star Wars myself, I can't deny the importance and the enjoyability of the original trilogy. This big budget space opera western full of action, adventure, romance, humour and revolutionary special effects, etc, etc, etc. What the hell was this about, though? 
overly long discussions about taxation of trade routes and trade federations, lots of lengthy and stuffy debates in the Galactic Senate and Jedi Council, just a general unnecessary and excruciating detailed overview of political bureaucracy a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But then on top of all that boring guff for which there is a lot of, by the way, it was also crammed full of really stupid shit like this. Sorry, like this uh, cliche spouting two-headed pod race commentator. You have farting space creatures, the fucking painfully annoying alien Mr. Bean, Jar Jar Binks, who seems to be the sole source of comedy in this humorless film, but is painfully unfunny and tedious in almost every single scene. The, the real and shameless reason that all of this stupid pap was included in the film was solely to sell merchandise for which it did, for which it sold a lot of and was very, very, very popular. So we end up with this sort of oxymoron of a film with an identity crisis who doesn't really know who the key audience is. Is it for a younger generation of Star Wars fans, hence the inclusion of all this silliness? If so, then why include all of the long and boring political analysis? If it's for diehard Star Wars fans, then they're not going to want any of that, what is essentially a toy commercial. And I'm sure that they also don't want the political nonsense either. Just in general, the dialogue is corny and unengaging. The characters are incredibly poorly written, including already established characters like Obi-Wan, Yoda, C-3PO. All of their characters seem worse off by the end of this film than they did at the beginning. The performances of what is an amazing cast that have assembled are completely stunted by such poor writing, which we'll go into more detail about later on. And there's this incessant overuse of CGI, which is so nauseating that it's almost like watching a 3D film without the glasses on. The film was essentially, if you want an analogy, Ozzy, which you can relate to, like the UK's Northwest Smart Motorway Scheme, but instead (laughs) of Star Wars fans... (laughs) being treated to a big, beautiful, smooth extension of their beloved journey. They end up with this big, expensive, festering crater. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. And thanks for reminding me of the, uh, the state of the UK highway uh, system. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Double-edged sword there. You really got me both, both times. Uh, Dave, have you got anything to add to this or to the counter to this? I feel like... Um, it's quite a one-way street at the moment. Yeah. It is a little, and I'm afraid I'm, I'm just going to keep you off as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep you on the road that we've started on. To be honest, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I I love the original trilogy. When I got introduced to them at the age of like ten, I think I must have been. You know, when they did the remastered edition, they released in the cinemas. Uh, I it, it changed the way I saw cinema. I thought they were some of the best films I'd ever seen. And then this came along, and it was like, oh my god, they made a new Star Wars film. This I didn't have nearly the weight that people remember the original trilogy did, you know, it happened like a year later for me, I think, but this came along and it just wasn't what you hoped it would be. Don't get me wrong. I must've been like 11 or 12 when this came out. So I didn't mind it at the time, but it's when you look back and when you rewatch the film and you go back over it and it's like, ah, oh, it's really not as good as my 11, 12 year old mind thought it might've been with the critical eye of an adult, it's like, this isn't actually a very good film. Everything Gav said is absolutely right. This, While I was researching this, I got introduced to a new word, toyetic. And that is a real word. And it was used in reference to Jar Jar Binks. 
uh, and it describes a character or an element of a film that has no value other than to provide a merchandising opportunity. Oh, wow. And that is essentially what the character is there for, I feel. He was a merchandising guy. So much of Star Wars is. I don't think I realized as a kid, when you look back, it's like, oh, here's a new spaceship that you've never seen before. Here's a new character. Look at this wacky character we're going to zoom in on him for a second in the background. He'll be an action figure. You can buy a Lego version of that spaceship. Everything's kind of merchandised about Star Wars. And you know what? People like that. People buy this merchandise. That's fine. But I feel George Lucas, when he's unchecked, just shoehorns this stuff in left, right, and center. And he wrote this. He was screenwriter for this. He was also the director. This is the only Star Wars film, I think, that he directed. Mm, a New First. Hope. Oh, did he do A New Hope? Okay. It's the second one he directed. Um, but when he does the script and when he's doing the direction and when he's not being checked by producers, which when he did his first one, with the money that was being spent, he would have had a lot of boxes to check. He would have been observed pretty closely about what he was doing with that first film. With this one, people are just excited to see another Star Wars film. And you know what they should be? It did wonders at the box office. Of course it did. It was always going to. The hype, this is probably one of the most hyped releases, I think possibly of all time. I can't think of another film that had this level of build-up surrounding it, that had this level of hype. You know, maybe maybe Endgame comes close. But honestly, Phantom Menace, when that, when it was announced they were making a prequel trilogy, the excitement was off the scale. It was always going to make money. And I feel he relied too heavily on that. And I feel he didn't quite uh, deliver the goods, so to speak. And I think toyetic is a very crucial word to learn when you're looking at the Phantom Menace. And I think what Gav was saying about the politics side of it, I won't bang on about it, but you got this character, Jar Jar Binks, and he is the only element of humor, this kind of slapstick like like I've said, Mr. Bean in space sort of character, and then you got this very serious, convoluted political story. It, it's it's uh, incongruent. I think is the word I'm looking for. There's a lot of this script that just doesn't add up, and doesn't work alongside itself. Uh, it's heavily flawed, and I think kids wouldn't mind that. And I think it's always going to make his money at the box office. But this is a heavily flawed film. Okay, Alex, do you want to jump straight in? Sorry, I let the uh, the the. Yeah, prosecution go two for two there sorry it's okay don't worry i can take mozzie I, I i i've got i've got this um yeah look one thing that you know has been brought up a couple of times is you know the the the, the power of the original trilogy and I, I just want us all to like calm down a little bit when we read about the phantom menace sometimes people talk about the original trilogy like it's you know like it's something that's set in stone do you know what i mean like it's the ten commandments like absolutely this is the benchmark of, and really they're flawed as well. You know, I think it's a line from space when he says, you know, he's going on about how bad Jar Jar is. And, you know, Bill Bailey says, yeah, the Ewoks were shit as well. And the Ewoks were shit. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's lots in the original trilogy when you watch it back that doesn't work as well. It's not a perfect thing. So, you know, let's not think that it's held to this amazing standard. Part of what Star Wars you know, part of its joy is these sort of like wacky characters, these sort of political things that don't quite really go anywhere and stuff like that. It's just part of the fun. You just have to go for it. It's not really something that bears up to scrutiny. And, you know, why should it? It's Star Wars. You know, you're not really particularly narrowing down in on these things. Um, you know, Gavin Dave talked a lot about, you know, when they watched it as a kid, you know, they didn't realise as a kid, you know, some of these things that, you know, the flaws in the story. Well, I do think the the, the targeted audience, and I think it shows that they he cast Jake Lloyd, which was a, a younger child to be Anakin Skywalker. I think they were going for a younger audience. And I think that's why there is a lot of, you know, the violence isn't over the top. 
you know, a lot of the jokes are sort of, uh, you know, immature. And, you know, I think I think it's pretty clear what, what you know, it's for the next generation of Star Wars, you know, people coming up. You know, it's not for the kids who then grew up and are disappointed watching what is essentially a kid's movie. The first films were, you know, aimed towards sort of like younger children. And so are these. You know, it's just sad that now we've got much older children trying to watch them in, and enjoy them. I just think we shouldn't be taking it too seriously. You know, especially the thing about like, the thing you know when we're talking um you know the, the monetization of the uh of the you know films are meant to make money george lucas makes these films to make money you know he wants to get paid but that doesn't mean that he doesn't really genuinely care you know this is a guy who you know there's a, a apocryphal tale but i reckon it is true where he took the lightsabers into uh liam neeson and ewan mcgregor right and showed them a, a selection of lightsabers, but not lightsabers, do you know what I mean? Just like little metal, little metal cylinders, essentially, right? And he gave them 10 minutes to choose which one they would like. And he said, I've only given them 10 um, minutes because I wanted it to be more of a an emotional decision as to which lightsaber they felt connected to, rather than it be, you know, like, this guy loves it. Do you know what I mean? Let's never deny that, like, George Lucas has created this whole world and he has this entire thing. You know, I wouldn't say maybe, you know, when we're talking about direction, possibly he could be reined in on things. You know, there's, there's certain things that maybe, you know, if it had a stronger assistant director's, it could have been cleaned up a little bit. But when you talk about the pure world building of Star Wars and the legacy of it, the, the amount of stuff that's come out of it, including from the stuff that was created in The Phantom Menace. It's really unequaled in, in any sci-fi franchise or world. It's just huge. And part of the things that add to this world that they couldn't do in the original is the CGI, which I think is, I think it's kind of, you can still watch it now and think, oh, you know, look at the CGI. He absolutely went for it. You know, he felt really um, restricted in the first films by the lack of CGI. That's why he waited specifically until the technology could keep up for his vision and there's so much you know did gav said it's like watching a 3d film without glasses on but the hot there is it is a rich screen you can pause any screen and, and there's so much going on and at the time we loved cgi you know now we're a bit more like oh, oh, oh cgi can't we have practical effects you know actually at the time people loved it and people were going to this film to see it so you know let's not underestimate how successful this film is and how many people row up Maybe, yeah, yeah, there are some flaws in it, but not when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you came out having a great time. You saw some great lightsaber fights. You'd had fun. George Lucas had done his job. Okay, so, Gav, you know, with the answer, Alex there answered your uh, your question before about who's it for, and it's, um, you know, very, very clearly aimed at kids, Alex is saying, much like the first trilogy, and uh, and that's what Star Wars is for. It's... Uh, it's a it's a world it's a story for kids and anyone who's older and is still enjoying it needs to get a life <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's what he was saying as he i think you may have read between the lines slightly there's uh, a lot but... of good stuff in there though so the world building i think is, is a really good point is that star wars is massive absolutely huge and this you know sets a huge yeah, amount but... of obviously as somebody who works in buildings as yourself you'll know that there's only so much building that you can actually do before the structure <laughs> can't support it any longer. <laughs> it fucking collapses in on itself, <laughs> which is what the Phantom Menace did. Like, like one of my biggest gripes of this film is just how visually 
awful the entire film looks. I honestly can't think of one scene in the whole film. And correct me if I'm mistaken, you know, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I can't think of one scene that doesn't involve a little bit of CGI. It's either like on a massive scale or there's just one biffy character just hopping around in the background. Like one of the amazing things about the original trilogy is the special effects. You had these tangible sets, costumes and props, which added to the fantasy and helped build this amazing world, which is what Alex was talking about before, that you could get lost in. And maybe Lucas thought that he could build on that further with state-of-the-art CGI, but it had the opposite effect. It's distracting, it's overused. And whereas you have films that came out years beforehand, which use CGI like Jurassic Park and Terminator 2, and could be watched to this day and still hold up, the CGI here looks like it's been rendered for the PS2. It's very, very outdated. But I just want to touch upon some of the other story points. Alex said that it's for kids. I don't. I don't really agree because I, I said about all the political guff before, which I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go into too much about here because we've already spoken about it. But uh, he he said about George Lucas's involvement as well, and he you know he loves this, and that's the thing. And I think picking up what Dave said earlier, he needed somebody to rein him in. You know, I think we often talk about on this show too many cooks spoiling the broth, having too many writers involved. This had the opposite issue here. There was no involvement of any other writers and I think it needed it. It needed a script supervisor or somebody to run this past because this is a man who has clearly got high on the smell of his own farts. This <laughs> really needed somebody there to check him. Right? I just want to talk about some of the other grievous issues from this script. The whole plot feels like something that's been thrown together it feels like stuff that's happened by chance and not a cohesive story it's just like sort of oh we meet this character and then they're going to come along for a little bit and then we're going to meet another character and then fuck it yeah we'll be here it's fine it just feels like it's very very clunky you there's also a chance to see beloved fan favorite characters meeting each other for the first time but instead of anything notable it feels like you know when you introduce one of your mates to somebody you work with at the pub it feels a bit like that it's like all right yeah i'm okay you okay yeah, okay, that's it. It's, it just feels very, very flat. There's overly drawn out nature of pretty much every scene. It takes far too long in a blockbuster action adventure sci-fi film for anything to actually happen. A New Hope starts with a big battle and a heist. This film starts with, as Alex said, a delegation being sent to settle a trade dispute. <laughs> you know, and then this is don't very... settle the dispute by tax. So what happens, Gab, instantly? Come on. Uh, sorry, uh, they go there, they get faffed around for a bit. They then... don't get faffed, they get gassed. That's not the same as faffing. Right. Yeah, yeah, they, they get <laughs> That's gassed. not the same as faffing. I've never been faffed and gassed, Gav, have you? They get gassed in a room, and instead of just leaving them in that room with the gas, they open the doors after a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, right, I'm not going to get bogged down on that. I know you would, you would just corner off that part of the ship, wouldn't you? you just would, just keep like, it closed. Like, we'll we'll go back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah do, i mean no i want it tonight I, I, I yeah i've got something going in there like yeah Br bridge is in there tonight we're best <laughs> best <game out. laughs> i'm gonna say as i turn on the gas eight nine and that's ten let's get let's get the bodies hey hey hang on hang on hang on you don't think they could still be alive do you i mean no what? no they can't hold their breath for 10 seconds <laughs> uh, so, and then right you have like um 
this like it just takes too long for anything to actually happen after that scene the famous gas scene that alex is talking about it takes a while until something of note happens later on with the pod race i'd say maybe even like 40 minutes maybe we're, even longer we're, we're glossing over the fact that I, I seem to remember that being a pretty epic lightsaber fight it's it's not it's there's it's a lot not. of lightsabers there's a lot of lightsabers no, 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 there's, no, there's no, a lot of droids no, being no. hit no, it's really it's not. It's 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 like it's it's Obi it's Obi Wan and Qui Gon doing some, I'm gonna say half assed lightsaber work. Like a lot of the time, they're just spinning around, and the, I was watching these droids, and I'm like, why don't the droids just shoot them? <laughs> why don't the droids just, <laughs> especially when they've got their back turned to them? I just don't I, like. It, I don't want to. I don't want to go into it because it, it makes me sound bad. But because they have lightsabers, you can't. Do you know what I mean? Because and and also they're Jedi. They they're good fighters. That's why they don't win. Nah, it, honestly, it looks like a couple of lads coming home from a night out at the pub, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, who have just watched just the like... Matrix and are trying try to do Kung Fu on their way home after a few pints. <laughs> but right, speaking of which, talking about, like, I, I, you, you said about that fight being quite memorable. I, I don't think it is. Dave will probably talk about the Jewel of the Fate scene later on, but one thing I wanted to cover is just how brutally split between three other set pieces it is. So you can't even enjoy it. You know, there's essentially four battles that take place at the end and the camera keeps on cutting from one to the other and they have sort of like varying in enjoyability i'd say you're getting qui-gon jinn impaled by darth maul and then it flips to jar jar bingston some silly bollocks and you're just like <laughs> you know it, it zaps all of the energy and emotion out of it then you've got this wholly inappropriate and weird relationship between Ad anakin and padme you know originally anakin was due to be a teenager in this film which would have made more sense, but Lucas decided to rewrite the character last minute to a child, which meant that this film, you have some sort of weird maternal relationship between the two of them with weird undertones. Yeah. And no, then in the next film, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the next film, when he's an appropriate age, not in this film, when it would there's be completely weird, inappropriate. We know what's going to happen anyway. It's a platonic friendship, uh, Gab. Yeah. It's clearly, there is nothing to suggest, Dave. Come on, you can back me up on this. Is there any inappropriate behaviour between those two characters? Come on. No. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> there you go. Like, just one last thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I'm going on. But like, there's just so many stupid additions that nobody asked for. Like, what the flying fuck are midi-chlorians? Now, Dave... Being a big Star Wars fan, correct me if I'm mistaken, but I thought the Force was like this mystical energy field that potentially anybody could have or even could be trained to have. But now, four films in, we find out it's some type of mutation of cells that can be, checks notes, quantitatively measured like a fucking Force litmus test. You know, it's just not everything needs explaining. Alex was talking about world building. He's done too much here. It's like he has to go back and explain everything. There's no more mystique anymore. There's no more intrigue from the original trilogy. He has taken that world that he originally had from those three films and he's fallen over and sat on it. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got the image of George Lucas, like with the diorama that Ralph has. I know. Where he trips and falls on it. Just all, all sat looking down, like, oh, George. Oh, George. <laughs> we'll just make something up, George. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
right, so poorly paced. Um, there's not enough space given to some, some of the more um, poignant moments, such as the death of a major Jedi Knight. Like, let's touch a little bit on, like, a bit build up a bit more on the casting characters. We talked about Jar Jar. I think everyone's, you'd have to have been living under a rock to not <laughs> the arguments sort of for and against, mainly against Jar Jar Binks. But um, what about the others? You know, there's a, the, the, the original trilogy really, you know, that we know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is. We know who Anakin Skywalker is or who they, what they become. It, does that you know? Are these do these do it justice, or what's the score? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Alex for now, and then if Joel comes off mute, you can have a little little touch on a few things later. Well, just to go over just the cast, just to say is like Gab was saying, very strong cast. You know, you got Liam Neeson, perfect role. You um, McGregor, you know, I think everyone was falling over themselves to get into into this film. You've also got the favourites. You know, you've got uh, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO. You've got Kenny Baker as R2-D2. I still find it funny that there's someone in R2-D2. I, I don't know why it needs an actor in it, to be honest, because it's just going beep, boop, boop, and just like spinning the top. I don't know what. It's it's one of the easiest gigs, I think, uh, Kenny Baker To be well. fair, it's one of the better performances. <laughs> the, <world's> <laughs> the more nuanced performances in the film. Um, you've also got Samuel Jackson top, you know, pops in. Fantastic. You know, all of these and Jake Lloyd, you know, who plays the character of a kid in a film as a cipher for kids who are watching the film really really well you know i think the cast are very very strong and i think the fact that you know this is a broad stroke sci-fi film you're not going to get you know this intense dialogue there are some really good scenes especially liam neeson when he's explaining the force i think there's some interesting sort of philosophical little bits that go on in there but really you just want to look at the cast you know doing the action delivering the lines moving the plot on it's not really slowing down enough for you to be to be particularly needing very strong performances with, you know, big, strong, you know, this is a broad strokes film. But when you're looking at the cat, you know, these big characters, Obi-Wan is, is a part of the film, but he's kind of overshadowed by Liam Neeson's character, Qui-Gon Jinn, who sort of is, his, you know, the, the more of a mentor. He takes the lead role, really interesting performance by him. And I think he really sort of does well to show what a Jedi, you know, because what we're looking at now is the first sort of real Jedi we've seen in the franchise. You know, before that, it's been ones that, have, you know, after the calamitous events, we're actually seeing it. And it's a really interesting look at what, what a Jedi like that would be like and perfect casting with Liam Neeson. Anakin, you know, we're not really getting into that at this point. We're not going to look at particularly the deep seated parts of Darth Vader coming out yet. He's only a kid. But that is brought up. You know, Gav's saying that it just goes on and on without interest. But I do think these things are starting to be foreshadowed. You know, the, the Jedi Council don't want to train him because he he's too full of fear. They think that his path is uncertain. That he's actually a very possible potentially a very dangerous character, as we know is true. So you're already thinking how is this going to come about? You've got Ian McDermott is it McDermott? I want to say his name is um he plays the Emperor Palpatine. He plays the the Chancellor in this who's, who's coming out. So you've you got all these little moving parts that are going to, you know, are going to, in the next couple of films, going to come together. And you knew it was going to be two films as well. You knew going into it, it was going to be two films. So you've got all these moving parts that you know are going to blossom, going to become into new things. And you've also got what this film is trying to do. It's just trying to set it up. So you've got 
Samuel Jackson, he's sitting next to Yoda. Brilliant. Who doesn't want that? And you've got all these other characters sort of uh, sort of working for you. So I think from a casting character's point of view, you don't need the best, greatest performances. You don't need the greatest script, I wouldn't say. But you needed a really good cast. Terrence Stamp just thrown in there as well. Really solid cast. Interesting things for characters to come next after you've set the baseline for it with The Phantom Menace. Cheers. That's a, uh, I mean, star-studded cast. But it sounds... Um... Sounds like a delay. I'm gonna, Dave. Let you. Maybe did you have a point to put, pick up on action, which I just uh, totally glossed over. And maybe can be forced, um, forcefully wedged in later on by Cav during the editing process. Or uh... <laughs> I don't have much to say on action, um, other than it does leave you a bit cold. It, basically, what you've got, like Gav said, you've got two guys basically fighting air. You know, the the bad guys in this are these droids, the robots. You know, they're not stormtroopers. They're not actors. They're CGI'd in after the fact. And the reason for that is so, you know, you can you can have a lightsaber cutting through someone or taking the head off a droid or taking a limb off. If these were people, that would be like, whoa, we're, 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 we're going through like the, uh, the guidance ratings here. You know, kids wouldn't be able to watch this. That's why it's droids. So the violence is, you know, desensitized. Um, but they are, you've still got two guys fighting air. And they're just putting in these droids being decapitated and what have you after the fact. It leaves you cold. You can tell these guys are fighting there. There's no back and forth. You know, there's no opponent for them to act off. There's no choreo. Well, the, the, obviously there is choreography, but there's not choreography with an with an opponent. So as far, as far as fighting goes, you're not getting the same sort of lightsaber battles like you got in the first one. Uh, until the end when Darth Maul shows up and you got Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan face off. I mean, they have a bit of a duel in the desert, Qui-Gon and, and Darth Maul, but that's about it. That's the first time you've actually got two opponents fighting for the first time in the film. And I, it, it's a pretty good lightsaber battle, but it just comes right at the end and it's kind of a bit flat. Come on. When that second lightsaber came at the end, don't tell me your little lightsaber didn't light up as well, Dave. Yeah, to be honest with you, at 12 years old, I was like, oh my God, he's got two lightsabers. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I want the toy, was basically my train of thought. It was my exact train of thought, which is exactly what George Lucas wanted me to do. That's all I've got to say on action. Um, Yeah, cool. What about cast? What about characters? Now, the cast, okay, yeah, it looks good on paper. You've got some good actors here, as Alex said. I mean, I couldn't agree more with Terrence Stamp thrown in there. I mean, I think <laughs> basically they, abdu- they could have abducted Terrence Stamp off the streets of Soho, bundled him into a van, put him in the costume, and just pushed him out onto a green screen. He looks so confused by what is going on around him. So confused and scared. It's like has- I don't even think they put him in the costume, Dave. I think that was what he was already wearing. <laughs> Terrence Stamp looks so out of his depth on this one. The thing is with Star Wars, right? It's as with with all sci-fi films and with some fantasy films, the dialogue that you're being asked to deliver is unnatural. You know, you're being asked to go down a road. You have, you're using words that don't exist that the screenwriters just come up with. You're putting them in the sort of context which which you know Rada can't train you for this. You know, it's it's completely unnatural dialogue, and it takes a special kind of actor to get it off the page. 
Sometimes training can help. Sometimes it's just a natural gift. Mark Hamill had the natural gift to get this off the page. Training helped Alec Guinness get this off the page. And I'll admit Liam Neeson, I think, can get this off the page, but not the, not many in the cast can. And because this script is so bogged down with all these political aspects, the scene in the Senate in particular, where it ends with Amidala calling for a vote of no confidence in Terrence Stamp's chancellor, it's just, the whole dialogue scene in that Natalie Portman could have been replaced by a puppet at that point. You know, she has completely no emotion whatsoever. She is devoid of any sort of feeling. And it's just like, she may as well be reading these lines monotonously off the back of the head of the guy in front. And I think just because the lines meant nothing to her, she couldn't connect with anything her character was trying to say. I would also say with CGI, it's entirely possible. That's exactly what she was doing as well. He's also very possible. That's exactly (laughs) what she was doing. And also you got to remember these guys aren't acting on a set. You know, all they've got that they can, you know, tie into their characters and try and get a feel of is their costume. That's all they have. You know, half of the characters they're appearing with are going to be added in later. The set that they're supposed to be acting in to get a feel for the scene is going to be added in later. The action is being added in later. Everything's going to be added in later. And it's just such an alien concept, no pun intended, for these guys to try and get their heads around. And it shows when the script is so convoluted and so damn hard to get off the page you know natalie portman is a good actor she struggles here maybe it's because she was young at the time you know she's it took her a while to find her craft but she really struggles with this script ewan mcgregor struggles with certain bits of it he's another very talented actor i think the only few that come away with this having delivered you know all of their lines impeccably are liam neeson samuel jackson he doesn't have very many lines to deliver and ian mcdermott who is a veteran of Star Wars anyway. He played the Emperor in the first one at the age of 39. I was surprised to learn he was the Emperor was 39 in Return of the Jedi. Um, oh, so what, here what he is. You done with your life, Dave? Well, that, no, no. <laughs> I just mean he looks terrible. To, four years to make it, Dave. <laughs> I'm just saying he looks terrible. <laughs> Darth Maul, he, he does well. Um, again, not even his voice. You know, it's Ray. Ray Park was a stuntman. And yeah, he knows how to spin a lightsaber around. This is great. But the voice is actually Peter Serafinowicz. And it's just kind of, was this necessary? Did you have to add so many layers to this? And I kind of, you know, even when the character is speaking to them, that's not his voice. It's just so, I mean, he doesn't say much, to be fair. Uh, I thought Darth Maul, you know, visually brilliant character. But he's just there to spin a lightsaber around. There's not much to him, you know. And, and then have, you know, a bit of a fight with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. There's not much character development there. What else? killed off. What well, else would he be? He's, he's supposedly killed off, and then as we, if you if you read or sorry if you watch some of the TV series and stuff, Darth Maul is not dead; he comes back. But <laughs> but, but he's but he's but he's cut in half. How yeah, is he? that doesn't that Spider-Lex. doesn't matter. We, we don't it... have time to go into this now. But I thought Darth Maul was killed. Uh, is, 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 is it his top half or bottom half that comes back? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it just because his balls head on it. <laughs> Running around. Just kicking people. Causing, just, causing mayhem. Just kicking people, knocking stuff over, <laughs> standing on people's lunch. Oh, and things. Yeah. Darth Maul, you bastard. Darth Maul's legs. <laughs> order, order, order. Sorry. <laughs> you've got your hand up i don't know if that's from now or from like an hour oh yeah yeah just uh, to add a little bit about darth maul there as well i think that you spoke about this before alex in the theater when you first saw this trailer seeing those dual lightsabers being activated i don't think anybody didn't feel excited about that and then to actually watch the film to find out that that darth maul doesn't even pitch up until about the 22nd minute and then after that he doesn't appear for ages 
He's only in it for about eight and a half minutes and says about six lines of dialogue. This is somebody who visually, as Dave said, looked like he could be, he was just so striking. And, he, and this, this is somebody who could easily be Vader's successor and main antagonist in the series. And they just bin him off. Like after, well, 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 well he doesn't even see the end of this, this film. I just think it's such a waste. And, um, you know, I do feel bad for for Jake Lloyd, who was far too young and and far too early on in his acting career to shoulder this much responsibility. I think Lucas unfairly places him so central to this story and relegates more interesting characters and more engaging actors to the sidelines. So I can understand fan frustration a little bit. I don't understand the bullying and harassment of anybody in a film, mm. let alone a small child. But yeah, sorry, Dave. Uh, just to double down on what Gav said there, Jake Lloyd was kind of cut loose. And if you care to give him a Google, you'll see that life has not been kind to Jake Lloyd. And I think it all started to go wrong with this film. He was mm-hmm. so much expectation, so much exposition for this character, so much, so much expectation on him. He's playing Anakin. The guy will become Darth Vader, you know, and he was just not protected by the studio, by Lucas, by anyone involved. And, and not just him either. Ahmed best, you know, I thought Jar Jar was irritating, but Christ, what that poor man had to go through. He was the only one that, yeah, he, he contemplated suicide at one point. Ahmed best was absolutely ruined by this film. Uh, his yeah, career he, was near he enough tank. Received death threats and yeah. everything. It was it was really toxic, really toxic towards him. And, and the studio did not support him. He was not protected. And yeah, that poor man exactly. nearly took his life. Okay. And and you know it's not his his fault. He he literally tried the best. So pun intended, uh, with what he was given. You know, but George Lucas gave him just an incredibly shitty stick, and was like, oh, "There you go, run with that." Okay. But let's not blame George Lucas for the way people have trolled and oh, abused yeah, know, and, and, you know, I mean, yeah. that is on so them. That's not, George Lucas, that's not on George him. Lucas, you know, I don't think. What we can what we can blame George Lucas for, I think, is the characters not being very well written, especially in the case of Jar Jar Binks. The character is, as Dave said there before, solely there to sell toys to kids. And, you know... Star Wars fans, diehard Star Wars fans, did not want that. The character is very irritating. Every scene he's in becomes like a Three Stooges sketch, and he's in almost every scene. It just gets very tired very, very quickly. Um, but I just wanted to touch a little bit about Jar Jar Binks and finally just talk a little bit about some lazy, lazy writing, uh, lazy character stereotypes i would say in this film i thought on re-watching it that maybe i was over analyzing a little bit because i was looking at it to pick flaws out from a prosecution perspective but looking online while writing the arguments it became very clear that this was a very real and substantial criticism that was even highlighted at the time but some of these characters jar jar binks he has this heavy west indian accent and he comes from a primitive tribe who throw rocks and spears. He's essentially like this walking, talking, borderline minstrel show. You have Watto, who is a filthy junk dealer who is obsessed with money and gambling and has this big hooked nose. And then you have the, what are they call the Nemoidians, who appear to have slanted eyes and speak with very exaggerated Chinese accents. It's just really, really bad. Now, I'm not saying that this film or George Lucas are overtly racist or evenly intentionally malicious. 
I personally think that Lucas was heavily influenced by other media from his youth, like Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, Charlie Chan, which I think, especially by the time the 1990s came along, all were looked at as quite dated and definitely featured quite dated racial stereotypes. Unfortunately, those same tired racial stereotypes also feature in this film. So intentional or not, it is just incredibly bad and lazy writing. And when you've got a film that's chock full of terrible writing in general, adding poorly written characters to the mix that feature these racial stereotypes is really unforgivable. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of poorly written characters, Joel, are you there yet? <laughs> no, I think he's still off for refusing. <laughs> yeah, he heard the bit that you were going to bring him in on, and he's like, "Fuck No, 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 not working. I'm going to pass it back to Alex to maybe counter this because that's quite a a a big. Uh, yeah. statement on that and then if there's any summaries let's go. I'll sum up I'll, I'll I'll sort out racism in Star Wars and then sum up my arguments and I'll do <laughs> I'll do it in under 40 words no, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no I, I would agree with Gav I think watching it uh, I think even at the time you see the character of Watto and you just go hmm that's an interesting uh, character I think you know decades later when we're much more um, aware thankfully to the sort of tropes that go on, I think we can watch it and go, no, that probably that hopefully would not happen in a in a film these days. It sadly does. These these tropes do continue, you know, and they do they happen. They're in the Harry Potter films. If you look at the goblins in the Gringotts Bank, they're in there as well. And you know, I, I would agree with Gav that they are in the film, but I would also agree with Gav and say. I think it's more that they weren't examined properly. I don't think anyone said we shouldn't have these. I think it's more just trying to do broad strokes characters and i think they fell into the trap of having these sort of like i've said fairly lazy racial stereotypes but you know i think at the time when people are watching it you just think oh people who like you know money then you know they look a certain way if you want to make it a simple character for people to understand i think that's when they fell into it and i'm and and i'd hope uh being made today that that it would be very different And, and i do think it probably would be i just think people would be rightfully a bit more sensitive about it um summing up my basic ideas i'm just coming back to this thing of just like who do we think we are right i mean just let's just come back to that who do we really think we are everyone's always got an idea as a fan about how this could be and and star wars is so beloved it's such a loved franchise everyone thinks oh well it should have been done this way it should have been done that way it should have been done this way these are the best ideas why don't we listen to the fans you know this is how we need to do it but really actually what we end up with is what we're seeing with marvel now we've just seen these focus grouped really boring films where no one's taken any chances okay and it's the same in the in sequels afterwards i'd say the same i'd say force awakens is a carbon copy plot wise and everything of a new hope you know it's almost a carbon copy it's you know they've got the empire back they've got this back they've got this back you know and it's it's really boring to watch whereas yeah the droids in this it's something new they're a new enemy you know if it's something that george lucas has created maybe it's bonkers and stuff doesn't work jar jar binks i think we can all agree didn't work you know i don't think anyone deserves the sort of hate he got but you know as a character maybe that's a sort of a a, a ball that got dropped but there's lots there's lots of original ideas in this and so when you look back at it like i said at the time when you look back on these films you look at them much more fondly when you know what comes out now and it's this sort of corporate 
busted out sort of focus group nonsense. You look back at this and there's just some, there's, it's his vision in it. And I just think you can, you can get behind that. It's original. At the very least, if, if you didn't like it, you can't deny that it's original. And that is why uh, Phantom Menace should go on the hit list. Really nicely put. Really nicely put. Um, of the uh, prosecution, do you want to do a rock, paper, scissors to see who gets to do a summary? Well done, Dave. Scissors beats paper. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will admit what, what uh, I'll agree what Alex says insofar as expectation was high and possibly no film was ever going to meet the expectation that fans had for this. Um, the, the issue you've got, though, is that this could have been better executed. That doesn't forgive a poor film. You know, uh, just because it's not played out the way people envisioned doesn't mean that what you've done is right. And I think George Lucas made too many errors here. And because he was an army of one because he didn't consult other people. I'm not saying he needs to go over to the fans and give them complete fan service, but I think he should have hired another director uh, if he wanted to write the script or hired a co-script writer if he wanted to direct. I think there's something he had too much control over this project, and I think it's one man's vision that's gone a little too far. He's a creative mind. There's no doubt about it. And there's elements of this that work, for sure, but I think there's too much of it that goes wrong, and I think the script is... The, the the final nail in the coffin insofar as the plot is overly convoluted unnecessarily so overly simplistic in other areas and the dialogue is so laden with these with these unnecessary explanations like gav touched on midi-chlorians before you've removed the spiritual element of star wars and you've explained it with science and a lot of fans didn't like that you know this is not what people wanted to see you know, you, you laid in the script down with so many explanations that people really weren't asking for. You gloss over the things the fans wanted to hear about, and you're left with this kind of clusterfuck of a film, if, in one of a better word, where the cast cannot get their dialogue out because they don't know what they're meant to be doing. Everyone's following the vision of one man, and this is too big. You know, it's one, it's the whole thing about, you know, at what point does art still belong to its creator and when does it become the property of the people that appreciate it? And I think George Lucas maybe should have consulted a few other people, you know, rather than just trusting his own vision on this one, because he'd been out of the game for a bit. It'd been 16 years. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have made these films, but he should have gone about it a completely different way. And the script is the ultimate killing blow for this. It, it screws the cast over. It screws the pacing of the film over. CGI is all well and good, but that can't help you. Brilliant. Um, that's two very good summaries um, with nice counter arguments to, to roll it up there. I think Joel is still busy and not able to join us for a... Oh no, he's back. Are you in? I am. Are you in? Yeah, I'm going to give Swooping you... in at the end. <laughs> hasn't done a goddamn one, hasn't lifted a finger, this whole thing. He's going to swoop in at the end and take the glory. Is that what he's going to do? Yeah. yeah. It was well planned. <laughs> seconds, Joel, to just give me a quick uh, summary of why Star Wars The Menace deserves to be on the hit list. Well, I'm a big Star Wars fan, obviously, and this film for me like just grew on me over time. Um, I think that there's so much here like for Star Wars fans to kind of get on with. Admittedly, there's a lot of stuff to not get on with as well. But overall, I think it's just a really kind of good film for Star Wars fans. As I say, there's a lot of kind of good choreography, especially the the fight at the end with, with Darth Maul. 
there's even like really cool little little bits in there. Like I, I don't know if you mentioned the song uh, "Jewel of Fate." Uh, probably one of, uh, in my opinion, the best cinema scores ever written. But also just the title there, "The Jewel of Fates." Like it's in the book. I can't remember who said it. it might be Dave Filoni or something. But they called it that because, like, of what happens in in the fight. Like Qui Gon dies. If Qui Gon hadn't died. Like he would have trained Anakin, and you could argue that he wouldn't have turned into Darth Vader. So there's loads of little cool bits and bobs like that, like littered with throughout the film. Um, and as I say, for Star Wars fans, whether you're like a, a new Star Wars fan or whether you're an old Star Wars fan, there's the stuff there that you can get into that you probably didn't watch, like or didn't you know uh, see first time around. So yeah, I haven't been here the whole time. I'm sure you've gone over a lot of it. But yeah, no, for Star Wars fans, there's a lot here. You know, I understand if you're not a Star Wars fan, it's probably a bit of a, a mixed bag. Um, but I think, personally, it's for Star Wars fans. It was made for Star Wars fans. George, George Lucas did that, um, for better or for worse. Um, so I think it deserves to go on the hit list. And if you put it on the hit list, I'll make sure to get you a pair of matching bottoms for that red and white stripey top. Thank you, Eric. Very much. Um, all sorted. Okay. Don't from you anymore, Gaff. Done. <laughs> I wasn't going to come in anyway. Oh, not? I was going to give you an opportunity to. Uh... All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, if you put this on the shit list, I will. I'll give you nothing, mate. But the respect <laughs> that you deserve. If anything, I'll take that the, like away that top and I'll burn it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, does somebody got a quiz? We do. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm actually pretty glad Joel's turned up because I was a bit worried that no one would be able to answer the quiz. So this is a quiz. It's a strange one. It's about Star Wars. And what I'd say is it's weird because the person who wins the quiz is the biggest fucking loser, I guess. So it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd one. What I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to read out a description. This is from the Star Wars databank. It's a lovely website full of incredibly intense and detailed descriptions of different Just parts of Star Wars. I call it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you know it well, Joel, I'm sure. <laughs> like it's, um, the, the, it's so lovely, to be honest. I always love it. These little parts of Star Wars or any franchise like Star Trek, people love it so much, they put so much effort in. Anyway, can I give you the description? You've got to tell me the correct name for it in Star Wars. Okay, so this is, and this is off the website, this is a four-legged transport and combat vehicle used by Imperial ground forces. Stan I've started, so I'll finish. Standing over 20 metres tall with blast and pervious armour plating, these ma massive constructs are used as much for psychological effect as for tactical advantage. Gav, I think you were first there. Yeah, and I think this is maybe the only one that I'm going to get. Is it an at, at Yes, I'm going to give you that. at, -at. Can anyone say what at, at stands for for an extra point? Is it all-terrain armoured transport? Oh, Dave, you winner. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I, you get two points for that. I, I bought into this and I had the toy. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> I bet you have the toy, Dave. I, I imagine it's just outside of camera screen. <laughs> I imagine it's right there. Okay, a uh, bit of an easy one. Uh, this is a complex instrument consisting of a pommel cap, hand grip, control module, Main hilt, focusing um, lens, and blade emitter with an energy core. Joel? I'm going to maybe go left field here, but I think it's a lightsaber. It is, Joel. Well done. <laughs> uh, 
For an extra point, Joel, it's an energy cord powered by a what crystal? Uh, kyber crystal. Well done, Joel. My well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, these, and uh, next one's a bit of a quicker one. These are sentient furred bipeds native to the moon of Endor. Uh, I think that was Gav. I'm going to give it to you, just to give him a chance to get in this. Ewoks. It is Ewoks. Well done, Gav. Well done, Gav. Um, next one, sticking on the species. These are a metre tall and hidden behind rough handwoven ropes. Their faces are concealed in cow. Dave? Jawas. They are. Their faces are con concealed in cows from which peer glowing yellow eyes. Well done, Dave. Let's say, uh, oh, yeah. Um, this is a veteran commander who masterminded an attack on the second Death Star at the Battle of Endor. Um, Realising it was a trap, he adjusted buying valuable time for the attack to succeed. Gav? Oh, Admiral Akbar. It is Admiral Akbar. Well done, Gav. You're also, you're not a fan, and you're fucking blowing the quiz up. I know. <laughs> um, do you remember what Admiral Akbar looks like? Yeah, he looks like a yeah, big like fish. A big red red yeah. So, do you know what his species are called? Mark Calamari. Oh my god, Dave! <laughs> oh my god, Dave! You get four points for that one. Mon calamari. It's yeah. a bit. Do you know what I mean? A bit on the nose, but <laughs> a bit on the nose. Calamari. Someone had fun, and then everyone was just like writing it down, and they were like, "Great, great, carry on." Yeah, brilliant. Can't believe we've got so, calamari. We'll just pencil there. this in for now. We'll come back to it and put something proper in later. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we left it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, they're called calamari. It's on the website. We can't. We can't. Um, all right, this rests in the sandy well, the great pit of Carcoon. Oh, well, uh, Dave, but you stole it there, Joel, so I'm going to give it to you, Joel. Well done, just for jo <laughs> jumping in. Well done. Uh, buried except for its massive mouth and beaked tongue. Okay. Everything to play for. Uh, this is the sixth planet in a remote system. It's the site of the Rebel Alliance's Echo Base. Gav? I don't know. I'm just guessing. No, no. I mean. It's not that. No. But, um, it's a world of snow and ice, home to the Wamper. Dave? Hoth. Well done, Dave. Very good. Right, we're coming up to our penultimate one. It's everything to play for. Everyone's in it, apart from Ozzy. But Ozzy, <laughs> that, that genuinely means you're winning, Ozzy. Just, just, <laughs> just remember that, yeah? Um. This is a versatile Rebel Alliance starfighter that balances speed with firepower. Armed with four laser cannons and two proton torpedo launchers, its nimble engines give it an edge in, uh, during dogfights. Gav, I think you were there first. Is it, uh, is it called like an X-Wing? Yes, Jesus Christ, Gav. Right, uh, and last one, which is my favourite one, a well-meaning Gungan outcast who struggled... Um. <laughs> who struggled this is literally who struggled to prove his worth throughout his life oh. <laughs> um dave jar jar binks it is jar jar binks it's general sad... jar jar binks ambassador jar jar binks still he struggling to prove his worth he just didn't quite prove it uh which means it was very close there but i think uh dave for knowing that it was Mon oh, yeah. Calamari, I'm going to have to give you the uh, the extra points on that. So well done, Dave. Is, was there any doubt? I mean, <laughs> I didn't have very many friends when I was like 12. <laughs> no, don't be silly, Dave. You had that at-at. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than friends. <laughs> Can your friends destroy a rebel base? I don't think so. <laughs>
<laughs> and flew it in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. uh, well done well done for a good quiz that was uh, a lot of fun and uh, surprisingly a lot of fun as uh, as far as the arguments went as well it's um i i don't know what i thought i was going to say i think it would have been interesting if we'd have had joel for the entire um the entire episode there because some of what he said coming from a a strong uh star wars fan you know, really hits home. We we touched on it a few times. That who is it for? What's it delivering? Why is it so? Why is there so much information in there? And you know, and Joel sort of nailed it. There's there's so many layers for the fans, and maybe that was a bit, uh, you know, that was treated as a good and a bad point. That there's so much information and just so much to get your teeth stuck into, because he was building up for a, you know, a, another trilogy, um, that everyone was aware was coming. It was a trilogy. It wasn't just a one-off. So maybe that was a um, a good point, but you know I'm just flicking through my pages here. Is that boring, 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 very corporate, boring, boring shit show? <laughs> There's a, a lot of um, there was a lot of things that we went through all the different topics that came through. Visually awful, um, overuse of CGI. You know, and the, I think the problem is that we say all the time, let's try not to judge it by today's standards and i think it i find it really difficult to not do that when you've had so many other films that are similar to it you know and, and alex even said this time around maybe we should try and judge it based on what is what else has happened in the series and and i think even if you do that the only thing it's got going for it is that it is original that that he's tried to de to develop the world and he's tried to to put a bit more around there to really get what's in his head onto paper and and onto the screen and i think you know sort of dave nailed it and i think alex even conceded that he could have been reined in he just needed an editor or a assistant director so it's going to go on the shit list but mainly because it's so bloated that it could have just been it could have been trimmed down it could have been a great film with a, with another pair of eyes to really um to rein him in um it could have been another a good asset to the star wars franchise and and really built from there but i think we've even said it on the podcast many a time that the prequel trilogy is a bit shit <laughs> <laughs> this one in particular <laughs> and and unfortunately the third trilogy is also a bit shit so just watch the first three and don't um don't waste your time anywhere else there are people out there that think the first three are a bit shit as well. But we, <laughs> we don't say it out loud. Before I say it out loud, I'll quickly move on. Uh, thank you very much for your arguments, guys. Do we think that... Oh, no, sorry. Let's get some honest opinions. I'm going to be very, very quick. I believed 100% wholeheartedly everything that I said today. Uh, <laughs> Dave? I didn't make anything up, but I maybe overacted how much it actually meant to me. I really did enjoy this as a kid, and yeah, it is heavily flawed when you look back at it as an adult. It's straight down the line average for me. It's not as bad as some people think. It's really not that good, but it's okay. For every clusterfuck moment there was, you know, a badly written character or some clunky dialogue, there were some good bits. You know, the Jewel of the Fates, Joel was absolutely right, is an incredible 
bit of uh, film score history. You know, it's probably, it is one of the best film scores ever written. John Williams is an absolute master. Uh, there's some great visual bits. You know, I quite like the pod racer race. You know, it, it reminded me of the Ben-Hur chariot race in a way, you know, like a CGI jumped up version of that. I thought it was quite fun. Uh, I enjoyed the lightsaber battle at the end. I enjoyed some of the visual flare moments. You know, we talk about the room with the gas, but when the doors open, just the two lightsabers lighting up in, in the midst of the gas, that does look quite, quite good. Um, it's got its moments. It really does. It's not enough to, to save it. This could have gone either way. It could have gone shit list or hit list. It's very average. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. It's, it's okay. Thank you very much, Dave and Alex. Um, yeah, it's on the right list. Obviously. Um, it's, it's just inept i think is the problem with it it's just it's not it's not a well-made film like george lucas just didn't know what he was doing like he just really didn't i think he he just spent too long getting this ready and he'd sort of i think you know when he'd like probably come up with this really interesting story like decades ago and then he'd spent the last 20 years fiddling around with like the port exhaust on tie fight do you know what i mean like doing all of these little bits and it's like george we need to have a script and it's like no i you know i'm gonna get all the ships and get the cgi i don't think he was really interested in characters actors making things believable and, and things like that um and i think it shows there's actually a youtube that you can find of the first showing when they put it all together and it's george lucas stood in the sat in this you know his sort of studio cinema showing with all the people and there's just like a stunned silence after the film and they're all sat there and george is like going like well, yeah it won't really work if i you know they, they'd created i think they just thought it's george lucas this is going to work it won't it cannot fail and he just wasn't reined in i just don't think he's a very good filmmaker fantastic at the ideas the world building all of that but it just needed someone to come in and, and, and do it properly for him. And um, yeah, it's it's without a doubt, it's just, it's not a well-made well film and definitely deserves to be for me on the shit list. Okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. And yeah, let's let's see higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was the <laughs> critically, critically, uh, commercially and audience, um, audiencely. <laughs> <laughs> well respected what's love got to do with it which scored 96 and 88 percent on rotten tomatoes critical and audience scores do, we think lower, Much lower. do you think this is the first time these films have ever been compared <laughs> <laughs> come to films on trial for just the weirdest <laughs> film commentary <laughs> Yeah, uh, it is lower. Uh, um, it's it's yeah, it's quite low. Fifty nine percent audience, fifty one percent critical. I can only imagine that some of those reviews as well. Well, what, I had a quick scan of Rotten Tomatoes uh, before. Some of those reviews were post ninety nine. So I think people have gone back years later to reanalyze it, maybe or maybe watch it for the first time and. Oh. People have analysed these this film. Do you know what I mean? People have. There's a lot of literature out there. If you want to have a look, there's a lot. Yeah. So uh, that's it. That the end of the the trial. There. Thank you very much for your arguments, guys. And in two weeks' time, we're going to continue our blockbuster season as we like Facebook Napster uh, that dress the J Lo wore to the Grammys are going to enter. <laughs> The, the 2000s, as we put Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers on trial. I couldn't think of anything else that happened in the 40s. Is, is it The Two Towers we're doing? What, what is it? What are we doing? Return of the King. 
We're doing that as well. Return of the King. <laughs> the, the, which which one's that one? Is that the third one? <laughs> That's the third one. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus the Christ! Third one. You're you're the host of a fucking film podcast. <laughs> uh, uh. So we're going to be putting the third Lord of the Rings on trial. <laughs> <laughs> but we just want to say thank you very much for taking the time out to listen to this episode today. Uh, please let us know what you thought of this. Uh, send us a, a tweet. You can follow us on any social media platform, our Film Trials on Twitter and Films on Trial on everything else. And if you want to check out more Films on Trial content, go to filmsontrial.co.uk or check us out on any streaming platform. So, what have we learned? Well, we've learned that Admiral Akbar belongs to a species called Mon Calamari. <laughs> uh, we've also learned that toyetic is a term referring to the suitability of a media property such as a cartoon or movie for merchandising tie-in lines of licensed toys, games and novelties. And more importantly, we've learned that George Lucas should probably never ever be the sole writer and director of a film ever again. <laughs> but ultimately, we've learned that the Phantom Menace is on the shit list and we're going to be back in those ears in two weeks time as we put lord of the rings the return of the king on trial goodbye terence terence stamp apparently only took the role on because he was really looking forward to like playing having a scene alongside natalie portman but when he turned up his it was just had he just had his lines posted on the wall and Natalie Portman wasn't even on set and Terrence Stamp that's why he looks just so fucking sad and upset <laughs> Do you know what I mean? like... he did look confused what a waste of Terrence Stamp yeah yeah right.